0: 32 counties
1: united by people
0: my name is una and my name is andrea and this is united United ireland Ireland, almost (laughs) every week on united ireland we go under the hood of issues in ireland beyond the headlines bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about
1: we also have a sister series that comes out every sunday to help you come to terms with life before the start of the following week you can sign up for that on patreon.com forward slash united ireland to get the sunday in your ears every week and feel those dulcet tones flowing through your body.
0: It's election week. Uh, The people of the North go to the polls on Thursday. We'll have a results podcast following the vote and what is guaranteed to be a historic one. Uh, This is our fifth Assembly election special in our Assembly election special series we've been running. We've been blown away really by the feedback and love that you've shown us for focusing on the Assembly elections. Uh, So thanks so much for that for everybody who's been listening. I'm bigging it up. Yep, Ariana. If you want to listen back to the
1: series, we have spoken to Susan McKay about the big picture, uh, questioned unionism's big ideas. Uh, We honed in on a new school of candidates eschewing partisan politics with Emma D'Souza, an independent candidate. And we talked arts and culture policies with AVA founder, Sarah McBriar. AVA's in five weeks, by the way. And we discussed discussed poverty with Dr. Kira Fitzpatrick.
0: This week, we're talking about an election issue, in our opinion, that doesn't really get much coverage uh, from the politicians who are running. We're talking about the invisible border that is much more real for some people than others. Obviously, there's so much border talk over the past few years, but this aspect of it is about precluding people from many countries from doing something as simple as taking a day trip to a beach from Derry to Donegal. We'll be joined by the Northwest Migrants Forum to discuss their shared, Share the Island campaign. And I think a lot of people who don't experience these kinds of restrictions on the island and therefore maybe don't know about them or don't think about them are going to find it quite shocking the level of discrimination going on. But it can be addressed. So we'll be talking about the political and people, people power solutions too. But first, it's Andrea's election news.
1: I'd love it like a, a really serious news going there. Okay,
0: we'll get the gong. Andrew? Bam.
1: Um, So... I suppose what really sums up this election campaign more than anything else is kind of that nothing has really happened. Uh, BBC Northern Ireland correspondent Gareth Gordon said that there's a reason why this has been the dullest Northern Ireland election campaign in years. No one wants to drop the ball and make a mistake they will not recover from. Everyone's on their best behaviour, um, saying what they should, hiding a little few things that they shouldn't, um, and really kind of putting their best foot forward. Um, and, I suppose that it really came to the fore when the DUP's Sir Geoffrey Donaldson um, did a bit of an interview. And he there's been a lot of speculation the DUP aren't going to take their place at the Assembly if Sinn Féin win. They're not going to serve under a nationalist um, first minister, even though it's a long side. Um, but he did an interview at the weekend and said his party are going to be there on day one after the election to sit down with the other parties to agree a programme for government and a budget but that will obviously uh, only be relevant uh, if he if the protocol issue is sorted out. Um, so that's kind of uh, a bit of an enigma of how that will happen. But yeah, saying the right things. Um, the main thing that has clouded this election really has been the aggressive uh, nature shown towards candidates and their posters. Um, there has been more uh, threatening actions uh people before prophets Hannah Kenny was gripped by the throat and threatened and that was after apparently she'd been uh, the people who attacked her said they'd seen her in her posters and seen her at canvassing and that was what the attack was because of. Um, and also the DUPs Diane Forsyth, Um, has had some false misogynistic material circulating about her. um, And there's a a speculation that hasn't been said forthrightly because she actually took this position of uh, Jim Wells, who retired from the party after supporting the TUV candidate. And she... uh, he has come out and said, Well, it's not me who's doing it. Like I don't be knowing how to use the social media. It's obviously some young people or blah, 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 because they had a very serious tête-à-tête. He said that she was a very unsuitable candidate um and was part of the reason why he left the DUP. So um yeah, there's a lot of stuff simmering underneath. Um a little thing that was simmering underneath wa- and has come to the fore this week was Sinn Fein approached Sarah um, for both border co- poll conversations. Um, and I suppose that throws up the question of whether politicians should be seeking back channels, entering into debate or sharing platforms with members of distant groups, whether they be loyalist or Republican. But what also uh, Sinn Fein came back with them is like that we are we I suppose I can't, actually I'm not going to paraphrase but there was a pushback of that this is happening and that their conversations probably do need to be happening about what is going to happen on the island because uh these people are taking action um and finally the first leaders debate took place uh there was uh the the pressure was really on the DUP for not taking their place at the assembly and for the money that wasn't spent they pushed back and said that it could have been spent anyway um, and then there was a lot of pressure put on Michelle O'Neill regarding the uh, correspondence with Sarah um, but apart from that it was kind of uh, chill well, maybe it was a way it hasn't been described yet uh, totally, <laughs> totally chill um, there's another one taking place on BBC Northern Ireland on Tuesday if we uh, release this today at 9pm if not we'll talk about it the next time Excellent and that's the election news thank,
0: thank you for that Andrea now it's time for a discussion on an angle of the hard border that people may not have heard before So for most people, moving through um, north and south of the island is pretty seamless. The physical border no longer exists for most people. You hardly notice changing jurisdiction apart from maybe a subtle line in the tarmac of the road. And obviously, Brexit made this border neon again, throwing everything from trade to farming, movement to customs up in the air. That's been hammered out for the past six years since the Brexit vote uh, quite badly, obviously, as we know, but like that episode of Father Ted when we're trying to fix the dent in the car and end up destroying the whole thing. But for some people, the border is very much a day to day reality. Freedom of movement does not apply to all. So what would you do if, say, you were working in a hospital in Derry, but couldn't take a day trip to Donegal Beach or worked in a farm in Fermanagh, but were prevented from going to cabin for the weekend That's the reality for those whose movement is restricted in the North.
1: This week, we're talking about the real invisible border with people from the Northwest Migrants Forum who are campaigning for its
0: end. Lillian Sinoy, Daniel Holder and Aina Zarif are joining us to discuss this underreported issue. Um, Would you guys mind just introducing yourselves and tell, tell us a little bit about yourselves and the campaign?
2: Well, uh, I'll, I'll go. I'm Daniel Holder. I work for CAJ, which is a Belfast-based human rights NGO. We've been working with the Northwest Migrants Forum on this particular campaign for for, for some time. I mean, as a human rights organisation, we've always been an anti-racist organisation and we've been involved in these issues for a long time. But I think the issues around Brexit really did crystallise it. If you think through the Brexit campaign... Partly, the, the sort of mobilisation from the sort of British side to leave where, and the official leave campaign was about things like taking control of borders uh, and things like that. And we all knew the uh, complexities that was go- in, in terms of how that landed on on this island. But the whole Brexit sort of negotiation period was a long talk about how there couldn't be a hard border on this island. And, and one of the ironies of that is. As you've alluded to in your introduction, yes, through the peace process, a lot of the, the hard border for a lot of people, a the militarization disappeared, also the customs controls disappeared through shared EU membership. But the irony is despite all the all the talk in the Brexit referendum about avoiding a hard border, there already was and is a hard border on this island for a significant section of our people and citizens. Those who are visa nationals, I require visas to enter one state or another, already face what is an entirely hard border on this on this island. And that's been really compounded over the years, not just by the need to, to, to request prior immigration permission or potentially be committing um, a, a, an offence, but also by, particularly by Angara Shikana on, on the land border, there's, a, there's more of an east-west issue with the, the British immigration officers. But very selective passport checks that have been done on the basis of, 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 at times, what is quite blatant racial discrimination. And that's been a problem for some time. But the border, border is now hardening as a consequence of the, of the Brexit referendum and the outworkings of it. Um, things are um, concerning and really do need remedy.
3: Uh I'm Ainas uh, Zarek, and I work at a Northwest Migrants Room as a community liaison officer. And uh yeah, I'm uh, also one of one of those uh visa national people and uh, one of those were uh, excluded uh, by this agreement. And um, the first thing how I found about the this restriction was that uh before working here as a migrant, uh when we arrived, me and my husband was love um traveling and hiking. And first thing that we did was uh, looking around uh, the place and uh, look for uh, places that we can go and visit. And the first thing that was was very shocking for us was that we can't cross the border and there is actually a border for us. And uh, that was the first time that I heard about it. And then I got involved in the campaign when I started working here with North West
4: Okay, and I'm Lillian Senoy, Director of Programs at the Northwest Migrants Forum. I initiated the campaign basically based on my own personal experiences. I've lived here for 11 years now, but for the first eight years, I couldn't cross the border until I became a citizen, and I couldn't believe, having lived in Derry all my life in Europe, that I was excluded from um, traveling around Ireland. uh, when I understand that Derry is part of Ireland, and uh, that's when people talk about um, free borders, free movement for everyone in the island of Ireland. There is an invisible hard border for so many people. Almost over six hundred thousand people who live in the island of Ireland will have relatives will have will be specifically excluded themselves or their families are excluded. From accessing um, the island of Ireland. So, this is why we, a lot of people would have talked about this issue because of Brexit. It predicts Brexit. It is not an issue that Brexit has contributed to. It is something that uh, began in 1922. And it's literally shameful that no one has ever looked into it or even raised it so that it can be changed we're talking about a shared island and my question has always been who do you want to share the island with? Uh,
1: We often hear the term common travel area trying about. Daniel, would you mind explaining what that is um, for our listeners?
2: Yeah, well, it's a bit difficult because normally with these things between states you'd you'd have a treaty between states that would set things out very clearly and that isn't the case with the common travel area. I mean, basically the common travel area has been a, a free movement zone between Ireland and, uh, and Britain, since partition, since 1921, with the exception of the period from 1939 right through to 1952, um, started with the Second World War when it when it was suspended. In essence, what it was, is it was a zone uh, whereby it was free of passport and immigration controls. So you didn't have to show a passport to cross uh, between the islands. Um, There's a bit of a myth that's kind of emerged in recent years, and particularly since Brexit, that the common travel area has always only just been for British and Irish citizens. That simply isn't the case. However, it's certainly the direction of travel from both states since the time of the, the Brexit referendum. That includes through sort of inventing a new concept of reciprocal rights for British and Irish citizens only rather than others within the common travel area, sort of rights access services or employment in the other jurisdiction, largely to replace replace EU free movement law. But the the situation with the issue of passport control or needing prior immigration permission to travel into the the alternate state has been much more complex than just being restricted to to British and Irish citizens. But certain people are excluded from it on top of the, the list there. Uh, a, a non-visa nationals, a mo- uh, visa nationals rather, mo- which would be people who reside in one, one side of what's an invisible border to other people but that need visas for the other side and have to apply for permission. What's happened in recent years, though, people will have seen that the, the British government is trying to push through, including on the land border, uh, a requirement for a travel waiver, sort of an ESTA type um, waiver that people who are resident in, or people who cross the border into the north, or who travel from somewhere in Europe into the UK. And I mean, this isn't a particularly onerous requirement if you're flying, I don't know, from Berlin to, to London for a holiday. But if you go on from Leffert to Stravan, and you're first expected to apply to the British government for prior immigration permission, this won't affect British and Irish citizens, but it potentially will affect will affect many, many and most other People, and to give you examples, so EU citizens who live in Donegal or even non-EU citizens who don't require visas, so sort of people from Argentina, Canada, Australia, et cetera, who live in Donegal have been able to freely cross the border um, and live pretty fluid cross-border lives for, for decades, now will face the requirement of applying for a travel waiver and could potentially uh, face a present sentence of crossing the border without one. And although it'll be multiple entry and things like that, it's the kind of thing you'd either forget to get. Uh, there's also a point of principle as well as what, why harden the border? What's the purpose of this? It's, I mean, this. It, sometimes these things get tied up with immigration issues, but let's be blunt here, this isn't actually an immigration issue at all. This mm. is the people who are already here on this island, being able to live their daily lives. Some people living fluid cross border lives, like EU citizens, Donegal, things like that, On Irish EU citizens obviously, being able to continue to do that. But for many people who can't currently live fluid cross border lives because there is a hard border there, a visa border, it would be very easy for the Irish government to, to change its legislation so that anyone who is lawfully resident in um in the north, in Northern Ireland, was able to to travel as a visitor into Donegal or into anywhere else in in the South without needing a visa. That would be easy to do. We've, we've picked up some fairly positive signs from the Irish government currently uh, and from the parties that, it, that, that there could be some movement on this and we, re- and we really hope there is. We also hope there's movement on ending these very selective passport controls. Irish law at the moment discriminates. It says certain people have to carry passports and produce them to the guardie when crossing the border and certain people... Um, British and Irish citizens and people exercising EU treaty rights with with the main piece of legislation don't have to do that, and that invariably leads to a situation you basically can't tell who's British and who's Irish apart from looking at them.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into the, the the political aspect of it in a, in a second, Daniel, and how how things could shift that way. But um, uh, I know some, I'm I'm interested. Like a lot of people, won't understand what the kind of the. The impracticalities on a day to day level uh, this causes, but what are they? What do you hear hear from people, and indeed, what did you experience yourself on, on the day to day level of how this restricts your ability to live, uh, or to have uh, like have for people to have a fuller life and a, um, a, across the the island.
3: Um, you know, um, because of uh, our work, that we are in contact with lots of migrants. There are lots of examples of this, um, you know, impact of this agreement on their life. Like, um, there is a big impact on uh, young people's education because lots of them can miss, um, actually, uh, school trips, which are um, the other side of the border. And uh, it has a big, uh, you know, um, impact on the, the, actually, his his mental and physical Aspect of their lives, there are uh, moms that uh, can't um, actually um, take their children to school, uh, though they are uh, she's um, married to an uh, Irish uh, man, and uh, you know you can uh, imagine how uh, it can be difficult for her to miss all the uh, that time. And uh, as a in uh, aspect of uh, actually in health. Uh, there was an example of a refugee child with a heart condition in Northern Ireland and um, it, she, he uh, it was okay easy for uh, the child to cross the border but for uh, his mom uh, she had to go through the pro- process to apply uh, for a visa and uh, get the visa and um, it, which is a very surprising and um it's, um, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, I, as a uh, personally, as a, a uh, actually a migrant worker and who work here, and I pay tax and um, I'm uh, involved of uh, you know every aspect of daily lives here. I can't cross the border. I miss uh, my um, meeting and uh, any um, work-related meeting that we had. Uh, since um, I work here, and uh, yeah, there are many examples. Yeah, and I, I
4: think uh, the impact on families is uh, one of the main issues. And uh, Inas has alluded there, parents who have children, they live in Moth, but the nearest school that they can take their children will be Holy Bush School in Como. And those children. The parents cannot participate in their lives in school. Parents cannot contribute to the school uh, environment because they are literally excluded from uh, participating. And these are also families who are married to Irish citizens where most of the people in, in here, particularly in Derry, will have caravans. And they will go. They will cross the border to go for their holidays, just a few days, and one family member will be left behind because they can't uh, legally cross the border. And they and and the other issue is the fear of what will come if you are caught crossing the border without a permit or, or a visa. Uh, it it means that you will be probably detained. Or you will you will be impacted all your life here. Yeah, you cannot get Irish or British citizenship because you have broken an immigration rule. So it's not just about the impact on a daily basis. It's also the fear and how it impacts on your own mental health, particularly if you cannot participate in your children's school life. But when we talk about even medical issues. We know that there is only um, the nearest cancer hospital to Donegal is the Northwest Cancer Unit. So you'll have people who live in Donegal or who live in Letterkenny, for example, or more, who may not be able to use that service. On this other side, you have children, young children from a pediatric cardiology uh, service, which is only in Dublin. And I know people will say we also have it in England, but, why fly one hour when you can drive three hours or even within? if it is an emergency, it's a 20-minute flight to go and take your child. Yeah, the child may be able to be seen, but parents will not be able to accompany their children. And a new one recently was a young little boy called Mohammed, who loves to play Gaelic, and he joined the Tyrone football team Mohammed is a Syrian child, so he's not a citizen. And he just loves playing um, Gaelic football. Now, we do know that it's an all-island game. Mohamed will not be able to travel to Dublin if his team was to play in Dublin. And even if he was supported by the team, his parents will not have the pleasure of watching him play. And that is the only reason why they want to go to Ireland. It's not to go and live there. It's just to visit for a a purpose, either for work or for just enjoyment. But there's also an economic impact. A lot of immigrants who come to this country want to contribute. I was an immigrant once. I'm now a citizen. And my family would want to contribute. They are not yet citizens. But they feel that they belong in Ireland. Ireland is their home. Mm But they are excluded from participating. And I think COVID also uh, exposed something where when we talk about staycations, we want uh, to promote uh, tourism, local tourism. We have potentially over 600,000 people who will be impacted because even if I am a citizen, I'm not going to go and travel alone without my family. I want to accompany my family if we were to go somewhere for pleasure or for leisure. So it's, it's, it's something that it, it, it impacts on people's daily lives. And it's not a small group of people, but it didn't even matter if it was one person that was impacted. Because if we want to share this island, we want the island to be our home and we want people to contribute effectively in changing the society that we live for the better then we have to extend those rights to them. The rights they have already for living here. It's not that they are so-called illegal immigrants or people who will extend their stay illegally. They've already been given permission to live and work by either the Irish government or the British government, including people who have indefinite leave to remain. So it's not just about those who have limited time to remain, even those with indefinite leave to remain, unless they change their nationality, they will need visas to cross the border. I think that is incredible that it has never been dealt with. So the impact is massive to not only non-European citizens, but also to citizens in this country, because it impacts on our economy, it impacts on our education, it impacts on our daily lives on a daily basis.
1: And as you might uh, tell us what the interactions with Gardi and other border officials are like, what kind of stories you hear from people?
4: In terms of the racial profiling. Um,
3: yeah. Um, you know, when um, something like this uh, is happening, uh, or anyway, if you just look a little different uh you uh, they will uh assume that you're not uh, you can't be an irish or british citizen and um there are um you know um it, we have people who are now irish or british citizen but uh, they will be asked to prove and uh, show documents and um the that a bus or frame and uh yeah, that's uh, one of uh big uh, you know you know uh, I mean uh, they are allowed to cross, to cross the border but uh, they're to cross the border, but um they, uh, they are um just uh it's assumed that uh, they can't be allowed because they just look different. So yeah. I I just did the,
4: oh sorry, go on Lillian. I just to add on that, on that yesterday. I had the pleasure of attending a small party for Eid. And I met a lot of Muslims who live in our city here. And I started talking to them about the campaign that we are doing. And one of them told me only last week, my husband was stopped and asked to produce his documents last week. So this is when we talk about racial profiling, People may think it is an exaggeration because it is a smoothless movement for everyone. And if you're driving your car, it's much easier. But if you're using a public uh, bus, the bus will be stopped. And how will the the garden know that you are not Irish or British? Because they will not ask every single person on that bus to produce their identification card it will come straight to you. And we've had evidence even from witnesses who have seen um, uh, black people or brown people being targeted for asking them to produce their their identification to prove that they live here. It is not a theory. It is really not uh, a myth. It is a reality for so many people And the fear of traveling is the the ones that actually impact people more because you have people who will be invited. We all make friends and you get a friend from Donego who will invite you and you have to create reasons and excuses why you cannot travel to go there rather than to say, I'm just afraid of coming because I may be stopped and racially profiled and I could be detained. Or <laughs> You know, you don't know what the impact of that will be, but it is happening. And there's quite a lot of evidence to prove that. And um, for those who are citizens like myself, um, although I'm more confident I can challenge that and and ask, what legislation are you using to stop me? Many will not. So they will prefer not to travel to just avoid the unnecessary stress that they are going to be subjected to.
0: Hmm. How has the Share the Island campaign grown? Um,
4: Daniel, what do you think?
2: I think think that there is a lot more knowledge um, now about what's happening. This was a, an issue that was really going under the radar to most people, except of course, those who were directly affected by it and their family members and, and others who had integrated with them. I think there's a, a broader, there's beginning to be a much broader political recognition uh, as to the problems of the existing hard border on, on the island. And I think also we have coalesced around particular asks, and, and the asks are pretty straightforward. So ask number one is pretty simple. You either have passport controls on a border or you don't. Uh, And no serious actor is suggesting that there be blanket passport controls on the the land border here. But this halfway house of selective passport controls, just think about this for a minute. People are being targeted on the basis of their skin colour in the 21st century. This is sort of reminiscent of, of sort of discriminatory-colonial laws where certain groups of people de facto had to carry, or de jure in that case de facto here, had to carry passports or ID or others, and, and others didn't. This just has to stop. The legislation should be changed so that no one has to carry or produce a passport across the land border. This is, this is Irish legislation that needs changed. UK legislation already actually provides for that. The, the checks aren't done by UK immigration officers go, going north. They don't need to be done going south. And there is an east west issue um, that we could discuss at another time. There is, but it's not to say that there isn't a, an issue there. But in terms of the daily local travel across the land border, let's end the racist passport checks.
4: And I think also, um, you asked how it has grown. We launched this campaign in 2018. And we quickly realized that ordinary citizens had no clue that this policy exists. So people actually are unaware of it. And recently we've been knocking doors, literally educating the community, and they are all shocked to find out that it actually exists, unless you have a relative who is impacted, you will not know. So the, the campaign has really grown. We had uh, the Derry City and Sturban District Council has endorsed the campaign and also endorsed the remedies that we have proposed. There's a lot of civil uh, society organizations that have come on board, because I think there's a realization that minority ethnic people's issues have been um, put aside, okay, for a very long time within the island of Ireland. And uh, there's also another realization, we live in a unique environment. It is an island. And having living north and south, although technically the countries are different, the lifestyles of people is not different. The connectivity is not different. So we can be in two countries. But these two countries are very close to each other, that people live with each other within the border. What we are asking is not to extend rights to everyone living in the United Kingdom. We are asking for people who live in islands because this is an, uh, an all-island issue as people who live in North and South. And this is why we're very clear it is with the, in the gift of the Irish government to change this, they do not need the British government. They do not need the European Union. It is the Irish government that needs to do it.
2: And that's that's really our second ask as well. The passport controls is one thing, but no one who is residing in the North should have to ask for a visa permission just simply to visit, to travel into Donegal from Derry or, or from Newry to to Dundalk. Um, that should just be something that, that's automatic rather than requiring a, a visa permission. That hard border should, should go. It makes no sense practically. And then we also, another ask is we also really need to look at this issue of ensuring that you, you've got cross-border services, services that are offered on a cross-border basis. They need to be accept, uh, accessible to all people who live on both sides of the border. You can't have, a, you can't have the, the, the cancer treatment in the Northwest being done in Derry, and then excluding certain people who who, who may need that service who who live in Donegal.
4: And it's actually easy because we do know that the Irish government implement a visa waiver scheme for tourists who are coming here. Tourists, not those people who are living in Ireland who are contributing into taxpayers here in Ireland. Tourists who are coming from China or India, they have a visa waiver scheme. They can only get one visa. So it's extending that visa waiver scheme to visa nationals who, who are living here either indefinitely or whatever limited time that they live in this island, because they have already been allowed to live in one side of the island. So if you live in the UK and the, the British government has given you a visa, you should have a visa waiver scheme that allows you to access the, uh, the, um, the Republic of Ireland and the same whether that That will require both countries. But a first step is for the Irish government to say, if you live in the north and you live there legally, then you have absolutely no problem coming to Ireland. And I think we should also mention, Ireland has been brilliant in responding to the issue of Ukrainian citizens. Ukrainian citizens are visa nationals. So I'll be very interested to know if they can come to the north, because if they live in, in the south, They shouldn't be coming to the north and those who live in the north shouldn't be able to go to the south uh, because they are visa nationals. And we haven't, uh, I don't even know if they have already been um, informed the fact that they are visa nationals. They cannot travel. We do know that a lot have come through Dublin to come to the north. And what is the implication of that uh, in terms of immigration issues? It is a gray area. And we shouldn't have that if people are coming to seek sanctuary, or we are providing protection for them. They should freely feel that island has embraced them. Uh, and, uh,
2: yeah, yeah, I think at this point we should should say anyone who is less than who is in that category should get individual immigration advice as to the as to the situation. Absolutely, because um, there are hard borders on this island that, that, that people can stray across and find themselves in, in significant trouble. Um, so it's important people get a, a advice on their own individual situation.
1: For people who are listening, how can they help or get involved, and in both in the north and in the Republic? Is there different things that people can do north and south?
4: Yes, absolutely. Uh, in the north, we are asking people to sign a petition. We have a petition that is on the Northwest Migrants Forum website, and which clearly states the five asks that we are asking for the Irish government to take. And uh, signing that petition is supporting, it's getting involved and raising your own voice and rejection of this policy. We are asking people in the South to write to their TDs because it is important that politicians are aware of the issue they were not aware. And we need to use the voice that we have and the power because it's the people who change society. So if they can write to their TDs and raise the session, we'd be more than happy to speak to anyone who would want um, suggestion. We have placed in our website, which is www.nwmf.org.uk. There is a sample letter where people can uh, just sign it and send it to their TD which specifically explain the issue and the remedies that we have asked. You can also join our campaign every week on Saturdays. We are going out uh, educating the community. We are knocking doors, and we plan to do that across the island so that every single citizen would know about this issue and push. And I have to say, I think some of the elected representatives uh, in Ireland have have now become very receptive. They understand the issue. Understanding the issue and taking action to change is two different things. What we want is action. And we want to make sure we put so much pressure that they change it, because it is within their gift. This is not something that um, requires too many people, too many governments to change. It requires political will. Uh, from the Irish government to come together and draft a legislation. And I always say we're very happy to help, <laughs> even in drafting that legislation, <laughs> to make sure that this is done properly. We have also produced, with the help of CAJ, a um, policy brief, which explain the process of changing that legislation. So it is all at our website and anyone who would like more information can contact us via email or via telephone. Every single information that is required is on the website. We would also ask the public to share our social media um, um, content about the common travel area. The Northwest Migrants Forum has a great presence on uh, on social media and also CAJ has a great presence on social media. We are posting about the campaign every single day. People on on Facebook, on Twitter or Instagram, please get involved because it is only by getting involved that this campaign can become a reality.
0: We'll be sharing all those details on our uh, social media uh, as well. Um, Lillian Sinoy, Daniel Holder and Inez Sharif from the Northwest Migrants Forum, thank you so much uh, for joining us and and talking about this campaign. Hashtag share, Share the Island. And um, let's keep the momentum going on it. And hopefully there will be uh, progress soon. Thanks for your work. Thank you very much. Now, Andrea, what's getting in the sea?
1: Oh, two things. One, one of my favorite things uh, to talk about. Be gentle, be gentle. I'm, I'm just going to say top line, that it all came to a head over the weekend, and what a glorious day it was! I've, I felt joy. I was at my local coffee shop, and the news was broken to me of like, "Have you seen the front page of the newspaper?" I was like, "No." Has something terrible happened? I was like, "No." Um, on board Planola, that very normal, totally normal group that oversees all the decisions about our planning. Um, just a small group of 12 people making all these decisions totally normal um one of them the deputy Paul Hyde there's been controversy over some of the decisions he's been making um regarding planning and um, and not telling uh, people about his interests that he holds um and the housing minister has said that there will be an in- an investigation into his decisions and his backlog of d- of decisions that have happened, which is huge and is separate to the uh, investigation that on board Planola are launching themselves. Oh, they're in- those twelve people are investigating themselves. sends right up our street. Um, but yeah, interesting to see where this journey goes. I feel like but- he manifested this. Oh, Jesus me, and what's his face, Paddy Cosgrave, um. <laughs> But it does feel like there is a little crumble in the bricks of uh, not Micah this time, but actually of the the maybe we could call them batshit decisions that have been made about some <laughs> in things in the city, in the country. But look, we'll see what happens when they are in the sea this week, anyway. <laughs> <sighs> see my voice, how it's got, it's like, it's literally like, oh my God, finally something. Are you like, how has, the, like, it, it just feels like we've been going around blind. Going, that's totally normal. Yeah, that's totally normal. Um, and also, even even Owen Keegan is coming out with shenanigans, which are stunning. Of being like, lads, this whole bill to rent stuff is not sustainable. They're pressing ahead with it in their um, well,
0: the development plan. Where,
1: yeah, uh, even though they've been pushed back, that it's like against uh, ministerial blah blah blah. It's like. But it doesn't make any sense. Loads of places are being built that are under regulation. They're too small. Can anybody see what's happening? Like, come on. Anyway, delighted. Uh, so that's the good news from Dara Byrne. But then a bad news for Dara Breen or Brian, uh, he's, he was like interrogated about the housing crisis. And then he, when asked why it was so bad and there'd been such a rise in homelessness figures uh, in the last month, he was like, "Well, you know, migrants from countries other than Ukraine are adding to pressure on homeless supports." The housing minister has warned. Oh, can we unpack that sentence just in itself? So, like, my like, obviously, the dog whistle of throwing uh, migrants uh, as the issue of homelessness one, but then obviously they're like, "Well, my Ukrainian migrants are grant." It's the other migrants from other countries that are wrecking the buzz because there's an empathy towards Ukrainian migrants. That is in itself the most bananas thing. And a lot of uh, lines have been drawn uh, by the fact that the editor of The Sun is now the um, advisor to the government um, on issues like this. So, yeah, there you go.
0: I think it's just like... It's so hard to know sometimes whether um people like Dara O'Brien are saying something but out of like vindictiveness or just stupidity um and regard like the the Irish racism there like just yeah, but, way, yeah like- but the idea of of actually even the taking people for such fools that people are going to actually buy the fact that the housing crisis that Finnegal created and that finaful. Causing the property crash is somehow, you know, systemically, infrastructurally, the that that somehow the housing shortage is the result of migrants coming to Ireland. Like, what are you talking about? And
1: not even even migrants. The good, not the good migrants.
0: The (laughs) bad migrants. What ridiculous? When I think um, uh, immigration to Ireland. Uh, obviously, because of the pandemic in twenty twenty one, I mean, it absolutely collapsed in numbers. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, the the reason there there actually are uh, migrants causing the housing crisis in Ireland, and those migrants are uh, international investment funds, uh, institutional investors operating outside of this jurisdiction, buying up. Um, gaffes and raising rent and making everyone suffer reits you know like take your pick in terms of how uh, you know the 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 purpose built luxury student accommodation lobby you know the golden golden egg the golden goose of land speculation and crappy development that just squeezes profit you know if you want to actually target those who are who are uh, causing the housing crisis you know, look at your own party and look at your, your, the party that you're sharing government with and how they've enabled um, those kind of entities to, to cause the housing crisis. Nobody is buying that kind of guff for one second. It's stupid. And it, and if, if, if he's saying it out of or insinuating in any way, that kind of thing out of um, stupidity to not have the cop on, to, to know how every single grain of anything that can be taken by the far right, by all these Egypts, um, you know, racist fools on social media and any of these stupid little fringe parties who will take every single thing that they can and amplify it and blow it out of proportion and use it as a tool of racism and discrimination and hate to actually be a minister who even go near that kind of rhetoric. Is just grade A at its best grade A thick and at its worst really insidiously vindictive. And he should cop on and, and the and the cabinet should cop on, especially at this moment in time. That's what I think about that. I think we agree. And <laughs> um, actually as an aside,
1: um, on those that student accommodation that is providing uh, the all the funds with the great return, there was actually uh international students have been forced to sleep rough due to the accommodation crisis because especially a, it's a growing number of English language students are being forced to sleep on the streets, in cars or on couches in friends' homes because they can't find rental accommodation after travelling to Ireland that they can afford. So all the student accommodation that's being built is all this luxury uh, insta-tenements um, that is out of reach of so many students. So it, it literally is like who are these big blocks of student accommodation
0: really being built for they're being built for yeah and they're being built for the the companies making crazy profit from them that's who they're being built for that's what this got that's what this decade uh or or so of, of Fine Gael rule has created the own the people who are benefiting from the housing crisis and they're the people who who are the only people left who support Fine Gael and are voting for them you know and why the hell is like i mean just dara o'brien as a housing minister you know some guy who worked in in friends first in in pensions, like do you know what I mean <laughs> like it's just ridiculous I mean I'm looking forward to somebody with expertise actually uh heading heading up that department because Dara O'Brien, you know, like so many of his Finfa colleagues, I presume he saw the stuff about stephen Donnelly in in jack orton and Hugh, Hugh O'Connell's book asking the department for, you know, different kinds of tablets so he can weigh them up against an iPad. Like that was his priority during the pandemic, apparently. Um, you know, that when pe- I'm looking forward to people with expertise coming, com- coming in because there's some amount of egetry in charge of, of departments in this country um, would be amusing were it not so uh, difficult to actually deal with the uh, circumstances that they then create. The change is coming as we know.
1: And it's time for its bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nothing more non depressing. Can't wait to get to our five bits this week. Uh, Firstly, it is absolutely bananas how the conversation about the National Maternity Hospital is still going on. The talks are going around in circles. Nothing's changing. The nuns are moving the ownership from one uh, PLC to another company, to a private company here and there and there. It's like, they still own it. Like, it's still exactly the same. And like, everyone's like, oh, big moves. They've actually come out and uh, moved it to this company. Coolaboola. I haven't said that in years. Felt really good. (laughs) But that is absolutely outrageously bananas nothing's changed they're still going that they're going to we'll do everything that that has that we should do in medical procedures but we're still in uh, the ethos of our founder what how do you think that would provide anyone in Ireland with any like comfort after everything we've gone through as women that our hospital for women is going to be owned by the church I don't know why this still is going on with no changes. If you keep doing the same thing, you are not going to get different results, and it just keeps going. If we just keep plodding along, keep saying things in a different way, eventually we'll, we'll get it through. It's it's absolutely bananas to me, and really sad, but also bananas, is uh, a big, huge breeding ground for curlos. curlies, curlies. Yeah, yeah, uh, was burnt uh, over the weekend. Um a huge area all burnt, just like we're literally burning nature. Um so that it can be seen as farming ground, but we're literally just burning any sort of biodiversity. Um a full breeding ground of curly is gone. Um, it is just a banana tan that our farming um is done in this way and that we have no even consideration for creating a land that is diverse, healthy, um, and has an ecosystem that we can be proud of. Instead, we're just burning it all to the ground.
0: I get very medieval when I hear stories like this. I'm like, bring back the stocks. <laughs> anyway, now it's time for our fave bits. <laughs> Here comes the vibe shift now.
1: <laughs> okay, here's some fave bits. One, the ditch. The publication that is uh really unveiling a lot of truths that don't seem to make it to mainstream media. Oh my god, gosh, I'm one of those. Um so they have been the ones who've brought a lot of the Paul Hyde revelations to the fore. So I'm really I'm really into their shit, what they're doing. Fair play to them. Um Open House, the Graced Sex Experiment. I'm absolutely obsessed with this program. It's just the most uh, like, interesting thing. It's about loads of couples go into this house. Have I talked about this before? No, loads, couples, I think it's so. of four. loads of couples go into this house where there are um sexually liberated people living in the house, and they go in as a couple to explore their non monogamous uh, possibilities of their relationship, consensual non monogamy. And they, it's just really interesting looking at how relationships can take different forms and how uh, that kind of intervention within a relationship can be helpful or not for some people. Um, there's a psychologist being a gas bitch uh, telling them, now you're going to go off on a social on your own and that's going to be how you're going to solve your relationship. It's just really fascinating human nature watching. Um, and I think. W- especially for an, um, a country that's been for so long of uh, you get married, you have kids and that's your journey, that it's, it's really just interesting to see how different relationships can be formed and can be made up and things can work differently for different people. Cool. Uh, bit, Cable Street getting the go ahead for pedestrians. A whoop, a whoop, seven up. Um, however down down about again that Set William Street still has that crazy semi pedestrianisation going on and also the indignation that Panty Bliss has beaten me in the in the war for pedestrianisation of the streets.
0: Did you actually use a, lose a
1: proper bet though? Did you have money on it? We, well she was like uh, we had a little bet that we would I was like we'll get, we'll get Set William Street over the line first and she's like okay let's go and
0: she won Damn Never have. never go up against a driver. And those
1: pedestrians. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, then
1: I went to Joanne McNally's show, probably the last person in the hall, of last woman anyway in the whole of Ireland to go to it. Uh she's just brilliant. Joanne McNally, for any, uh She is just absolutely brilliant. It's so fascinating to watch her journey as a comedian. The difference from the last time I saw her when she did her first Vicker Street to this one is just someone who's come on leaps and bounds. And I feel like a proud mom watching her. It's so brilliant. But the funniest thing was we went for dinner beforehand in proved pizza, uh, which is on the same street. And also, don't you know the way I love Roman pizza? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you can't get it anywhere. Literally around the corner from my house, they do <laughs> Roman pizza, improve pizza. So A, it's delicious. And also they have pineapple on their pizza with no judgment. It's like, it's on the menu and it's Roman pizza. You're like, Dunning. But it's so gassed to walk into Proof Pizza before a show because it's literally just girls everywhere in the girliest Instagrammable place with Prosecco on tap and everyone just having a ball. And it's so funny. You're literally like, oh, jo- they're all going to Joanne's. And we we're talking to the staff and they're literally like, oh, my God, every time Joanne is in Vicker Street, the place is banging. And you're like, that is so Gas to see the effect she's having on the little ecosystem around the venue.
0: Yeah, McNally- McNallynomics. Um,
1: then Temporary Pleasure uh, is a collective of architects and club promo- people who are doing a fundraiser um, to build their own club it's a DIY club and we love to see the return of do it yourself if you're going to knock down our fucking clubs we're just going to build our own it's going to be a temporary club six weeks in September hopefully and they're looking for money 25 grand is the goal if you have a few bob and want to go dancing uh, look up temporary pleasure and support their crowd funder and let's get the disco going with something new. Imagine a, a, just a lovely new ecosystem of clubbing. Come on. Don't let's go for me, right? F- oh, yeah, no, it's I, not. It's on Kickstarter. Sorry. I'm not sure. Tem- Google temporary pleasure. Fly up there. Go on to their Instagram. Link in bio. Uh, also, oh, my God, the joy. Ronnie the Rocket took victory in the worlds over the weekend. Um, he is now equal to Stephen Hendry in snooker world championships. I am obsessed with a snooker and b Ronnie the rocket. He is the gassest trait. I don't know if you like, he was, I, I'll always remember this interview. He was just after finishing a game that he lost and he was being interviewed by the BBC. And they're like, it was a good game, Ronnie. And he's, he just goes, no, I lost and walked off. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> you are a gas trait. And finally, my fave bit, uh, the Met Gala, oh, joy and rapture, the drama, the uh, ostentatiousness, the shade. Um, uh, the thing that's obviously been most talked about in the. Oh God, I'm going very mainstream media against today, am I? But. Uh, Is that a pirate yeah, flag behind you there? And you're... I know, yeah. It's like <laughs> an Irish flag and a pirate flag. Uh, Kim Kardashian wore Marilyn Monroe's dress that she sang, Happy Birthday, Mr. President. And the 25,000 crystals on it, it cost a hundred, it cost 13 grand back in the day. Um, there's a celebration that Kim wore it and looked fab, but also there's an obvious like, what the fuck is she doing wearing that dress? This is sacrilege. And then Amanda Lepore came out and showed the ultimate stage. She's like, what is she doing wearing that dress? Well, she didn't say it in that word, but she was basically like, there's so much her story within that dress why is she wearing it and also then she wore pleasers which are those stripper shoes um so she was not best pleased but there was just so much joy on that red carpet and the uh the um the head of culture in New York City got proposed to on on the red carpet on the stairs she is the NYC commissioner of the department of cultural affairs um she was it was just gorgeous it's just I just love the drama and The fashion and then actually uh, Sarah Jessica Parker the full queen of New York fashion let's be honest she wore Christopher John Rogers and you can listen back to our episode we did with him last year um, on our thing to get to know him and his story because it's it's an interesting one and yeah he's the shining light of uh, New York fashion I think at the moment.
0: Stunning. Um, My fave bits, I finally got to see Come On, Come On, the Mike Mills film with Joaquin Phoenix and um, uh, shot by Robbie Ryan, who is my favorite cinematographer, uh, Irish man, Robbie Ryan, who is just brilliant. like, oh, he's just so good. He's so diverse all of the way he he works across, like The Favourite or Marriage Story and, well, Andrea Arnold's films, Sally Potter films, and he also shot Come On, Come On. And it is... A gorgeous film. I love Mike Mills anyway, 20th century woman, etc. But this is the structure of it. It's so beautiful and um, yeah, would really recommend if people have, have missed it uh, over the past couple of months. Fave bit, give it up for the cobblestone. Woo! Uh, yeah. the, the developer officially withdrew their planning application Um, So for now, celebration stations up in... I wonder why they did it. Like they didn't do... Do you know what? People just want this. Why don't we just leave it off? Yeah. I mean, their appeal um, was pretty... It wasn't great, actually. Uh, It wasn't very thorough. Um, So who knows what they were actually up to. But um, fantastic that the cobblestone uh, lives to fight another day, hopefully another century and um, great news for the traditional music scene and just for ev- everybody who doesn't want gross hotels built on top of great places, like munching <laughs> them away. Um, I was
1: driving through the liberties as I was getting my coffee and came across this sign on the side of the new Premier Inn that's going into the fucking opposite teelings. And it was just like, Dublin! There's a new, uh, hello Dublin, new hotel on its way. It's like, wow, you've really been listening to what we want, haven't you? Like all Dubliners want is a new hotel. Sweating for it.
0: Fuck off. Ugh, gross. Um, oh yeah. Shout out to Beyond the Pale. Um, Some news to come about that. But uh, if you're looking for a daily uh, festival to go to, um, check that out in Glendalough in Wicklow, June 10th to 12 yeah, what, what are you hinting at with some news to come go on um, I'm going to be doing what? something maybe <laughs> I just can't say it yet you know guys so exciting
1: um, <laughs> tune in, I, in to my Instagram I'll be renouncing it at 6 o'clock
0: <laughs> um, I also have a Met Gala moment in my fave bits and Jessie Buckley like obviously she can do no wrong Um, but her Get up, her rig out, as my mum would say, full, like, zorro John Waters, um, like, bullfighter brilliance, her amazing suit and her moustache. Love it. Uh, it was Chaparelli Oh, excellent. Yeah. um, Yeah, love it, love it, love it. And my final fave bit, obviously, we've all been reveling in... The epic fight that was basically a film with three act play that was Katie Taylor's um, victory at the weekend. The momentum for Katie Ta- for Katie Taylor for Croker. Let's make it happen. 85 or something thousand people screaming in a stadium for Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor parties all over the city. Big buzz in the weeks building up to it. All the international press coming. Everybody talking about Katie Taylor. Like we need it. We need it. I just wish
1: that like there was all that without the actual boxing. It's just so gross. Oh, get a grip,
0: Andrew. <laughs> It's horrible. horrible hitting <laughs> people oh it's come disgusting. on come on Stop no um, but yeah so Katie Taylor for Croker as uh, Bucko Elaine Bucko Buckley friend of the pod was saying Hill 16 is Taylor only she's already starting the chance Um, um
1: in a fave bit that you might like I'm going to see Colleen Kuhn oh
0: fantastic yes on Wednesday oh yeah, little little, yeah. little preview little premiere yeah yeah Colin Kuhn is out um, in cinemas in Ireland on the 12th and in UK on the 13th of of this month so um, go and see it obviously we'll be repeatedly plugging it because it's so brilliant Um, and yeah those are the five bits and now it is time for Book of the Week Book of the Week So my book of the week this week is There's a guy There's a guy called and uh, There's a kind of photographer um guy
1: that I know He's so handsome and he might kiss me
0: <laughs> mm, No um, But uh, uh, Spiros Rant Is his name, makes these amazing um, Like, kind of like publications Little art books um, And is a photographer and is an artist And is generally great, anyway, picked up um, one of his pieces called Non-Essentials, part of this non Essential" series. And it's all this beautiful, like, queer boys, gorgeous photography. And I just love it. And it just makes me kind of, you know, really lean into the summer, hanging out at the beach, on rocks, going to clubs, hanging out at parties, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like it's going to be quite a liberated um, summer for some. And, yeah, so... Spire's Rent's non Essential series is my book of the week. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mang and Crystal Clear gave us his Tuna Chicken Roll for a soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design.
1: This week's Tuna Chicken Roll. Again, a little nod to our patrons uh, or or to our soon-to-be patrons. If you do enjoy listening to our podcast, it would be great if you support us on United Ireland as Patreon, which is patreon.com. Forward slash United Ireland, uh, podcast, um, and the song is "Do It Now," subliminal messaging, I think, and it's by Dub Tribe Sound System. So, to all our patrons that do support us, thank you so much for making this happen, and to all those who are ready to make that moment happen, do it now.
0: I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland,
1: and that was end the racist border say